want to uh, introduce you to my family, just so you know a little bit about us. Uh, my name is Ben, and my wife's name is Annalise, and um, we've been married. This year will be 20 years. Now, I know I don't look 20, but uh, I, I, I don't even look 20, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't even look 20, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I'm 40, but we've been married almost 20 years this year, and we have four kids. You see them on the screen there, four boys. Our oldest is the tallest. He's Garrett. He's 16. He's a junior in high school, loves all things athletics and sports. Gavin is the blonde, the blonde hair, blue eyes. Now, um, people ask, where did he get the blue eyes? You know, not the milkman, not, not the newspaper guy, right? It was, it, it's a recessive gene. My mom had blue eyes. My mother-in-law has blue eyes. That's how it happened, all right? But then uh, Gideon is our third son, and he's on the trip with me today. He's in the room, so come on, glad, glad Gideon's with me. He's my explorer, and we love to just, uh, he's my mini-me, quite honestly. We are very much alike. And then the youngest one there is Gibson. Gibson is fireball. He's just, he's the youngest. He is the, he's the youngest, and he rules the roost, all right? And uh, we love we love our kids. I love our boys. We're so proud of them. And yes, all of their names start with G. And yes, all of their middle names start with W. So monogramming was easy. All right, let's just pass it on down. Hand me downs all the way down. You know what I'm talking about, moms? That's the way we roll. All right, all right. Well, let's jump into the message today. We're we're in part three of a series that we're calling, "How do I know?" And we're answering the question today: How do I know that I can trust the Bible? How do I know that the Bible is real, Pastor Ben? How do I know? Pastor Drew's done an awesome job of answering a couple questions about evolution and, and, and some of those topics. Today, we're, we're going to jump into the Bible, the Word of God. And, and I want to start with 2 Timothy. So if, you're, if you've got your Bible, pull it out. If you're taking notes, I want you to take a lot of notes today because there's, this, is, this is just full of information that I believe is going to become transformation for us. All right? So... Uh, on the screen there, you're going to see this, the, the, the theme verse for today. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. How do I know I can trust the Bible? Well, Paul says, here's how you can trust the Bible. Because all scripture is inspired by God. Like, it, it didn't come from man. It came from God. And it is useful to teach what is true. Come on, if you want to know what's true in life, in a, in a world that doesn't have standards, in a world that says anything goes, what's true is in the Word of God, everybody. Uh, so if you want to know what's true, look to the Bible. Because it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. Come on, every once in a while, I need to look in a mirror and see what's wrong. Do I got any cliffhangers in my nose? Like, I just need to see what's wrong. Do I need to trim my eyebrows? Do I need to pluck some ear hair? Come on, somebody, you know what I'm... What's wrong? Well, that's what the Word of God is for us. It's, it shows us what's wrong in our lives. Uh, I love this. It straightens us out. Anybody ever needed to be straightened out? Come on, I needed to be. I grew up in East Tennessee. We used to say, I'm a Yanka. I'm a Yanka, not in your chain. I don't know what that meant, but I think it meant I'm going to straighten you out. And I've needed to be straightened out in life. It teaches us. The Word of God teaches us what is right. So the Bible isn't just a good book. It's not like a novel, like you, you read Gone with the Wind, toss it to the side. No, it's a Bible that you can keep reading. It keeps speaking. It's alive. It's active. It speaks today. And so it says something about every area of your life. It says something about your finances, your faith, your family. It says something about every area that you walk through. And we live in a culture, though, that says, 
I, man, I don't know if you can trust the Bible. Man, the, the word, the Bible, it's just full of hate speech. You know, the, the Bible, that's, that's what those, those fear-mongering, bigoted Christians read. I mean, that's what the world is saying. The, the, the Bible, man, the stories in there, they've been manipulated. You can't trust the Bible. There's TV shows. There are movies. There are websites. There's social networks that are completely dedicated to discounting the Bible. But here's, here's the problem. None of it's true. None of it is true. And so my, my goal today is I want to try to prove to you why you can trust the Bible, why you can put your faith in the Word of God. And so I'm going to bring you a message on apologetics. All right, this is really an apologetic type message. Now, here's the thing you need to know about apologetics is it's the defense of the Christian faith. It's, it's where I stand. It's the response against what people say about the Christian faith. And the bad news is I got good news and bad news. All right? Bad news is I'm not an apologist. I don't, I don't know everything there is to know about this. And, 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 uh, and I have some ministry gifts, but this is not one of those gifts. All right? This is kind of out of my normal teaching flow, but I'm going to do the best I can. The good news is I did save a lot of money by switching to Geico. So that's the that's good news. You'll, you'll be happy to. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding about that. No, for real though, uh, I have compiled a lot of research. Most of this message is going to come from uh, outside sources, people like Josh McDowell, who is a great apologist of our day. I'm going to use resources from other pastors that I respect and mentors and pastors like Chris Hodges and, and, um, and Rick Warren. So we're going to use some of their content today. But if you're taking notes, I want you to get ready because I'm going to give you five reasons why you can trust the Bible. All right? If you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, all right. Here we go. Five reasons why you can trust the Bible. Number one, I can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. Historically accurate. See, a lot of people don't believe the Bible is true. They don't believe the stories of the Bible. They don't believe that, that Moses parted the Red Sea. They don't believe that, that Jonah spent a few days in the belly of a well. They don't believe that that Noah really was on a boat for all, the, all that time and the, uh, there was a, a flood that, that came across the whole earth. They don't believe that Jesus got up out of the grave. They, they just think that those are metaphors. Those, those are the things that, I mean, it's, sure, it's good for you to read, but those things really didn't happen. But the only problem with that is that Psalm 33 says, the word of the Lord is right and true. So it's, it's true, everybody. Well, how do you know it's true? So it's historically accurate. Here's how you know it's true. There's, there's three ways that uh, historians will classify something as real-life history. All right. There's three tests. Anything has to pass if it's going to be called history. And, and I want to give you those tests today. The first test is it has to pass the test of were there eyewitnesses, an eyewitness account. And I don't know if you know it or not, but the Bible is not based on hearsay. The Bible wasn't, it's not investigative journalism. You know, like, hey, I heard, that, um, I heard that you might know something that happened, that maybe you know somebody who knew someone who, who knew somebody else who thought they might know something. No, it's based on what really happened. I saw it with my own eyes. That's what the Bible, it, it's, it has three things. The first one's eyewitness account, right? So 
the Gospels were written by people who saw it with their own eyes. It, when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's written by people who were there. They saw it. They felt it. They were involved with Jesus for three years. And when they, when they wrote their Gospels, they didn't get together in a closed room and be like, Hey, Matthew, what, what are you going to put in chapter 2? They didn't do that, yet their Gospels corroborate. Their Gospels complement each other. Gospels tell the same story. Like Moses was an eyewitness to leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. So, uh, so Moses wasn't the only eyewitness, though. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. How about this? There were three, three million other eyewitnesses to that. You know what I'm talking about? So like, it wasn't just Moses' word against three million other people's word that the, the Red Sea split. They all walked through it. And if Moses wasn't telling the truth, I think they would probably throw him into the Red Sea. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's three million to one. So it's eyewitness accounts. Number two, the thing about history, all right, the, the other test, the second test history, history needs to pass is, did they record and copy those eyewitness accounts with extreme care? That has to be recorded and copied with extreme care. So God trusted the, the Jewish scribes to copy the word of God because they were meticulous. Oh man, they, they, they didn't just take notes like we're taking notes today. They were meticulous. Have you ever heard the phrase, every jot and tittle? I don't know where that, I thought that might have just been an Eastern, East Tennessee thing. But like, I think it's in the Bible actually, like King James probably. But they were they were so concerned. In fact, they didn't just copy word for word. They copied letter for letter. Letter for letter. In fact, the, uh, when they would transcribe the, the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, they knew the very middle letter of the Pentateuch. And they would count in both directions. And if the letters, if they didn't match up with what they had just transcribed, then they would throw their new transcription out the window and start all over again. It was meticulous. And I know that some people would say, well, yeah, Pastor Ben, I, I hear what you're saying, but the, the Bible is thousands of years old. It, it's not original to, to, you know, to the way it was written back in the day. It has changed. The meanings have changed. The words have changed. It's been passed down, and so there's no way it can be really real and and I hear what you're saying but think about this uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1940s and 50s um, they, they found these scrolls that were hidden in 11 caves right near the Dead Sea Pastor Drew and I were there we got to see we have pictures of the caves that these these scrolls were in and the scrolls came from Jerusalem it was believed to be a library of, of Jewish writings that they uh, because they wanted to preserve them, they took them out of Jerusalem when Jerusalem was under attack in A.D. 70, and they hid them in these caves. And they were found thousands of years later, and guess what, everybody? They were perfect matches to the manuscripts, is, the manuscripts that we already had. Oh, so it was, it was perfect in every way. God's word, God's word endures. So, so it, it need, there needs to be eyewitnesses. There needs, it needs to be, their story needs to be copied and recorded with care. But the third thing historians would tell you is 
We need archaeological evidence. We need some confirmation that these things really happened. And last year, Pastor Drew and I got to see with our own eyes confirmation of digs and excavations and archaeological discoveries that continue to prove over and over and over again, hey, everybody, it happened. The stories of the Bible are real. It was there. And so we, we've, gotta, we've, we've just got we, to know that the Bible is historically accurate. It starts there. But the second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. How do I know the Bible's real? Well, it's not just historically accurate. It is scientifically accurate. Scientifically accurate. Now, as Christians, we believe that God created everything, right? Like he created he created the stars, he created the earth, the sun, the moon. He created, he, he created time, he created medicine, he created anatomy. He created all of it. But none of it changes. Now, science changes, doesn't it? I mean, what you learned in third grade is probably not true anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, computer science a decade ago is not scientific today. It's all old hat, right? It all, it's all new. And, and for some reason, science continually changes, but the Word of God doesn't, everybody. It's, it has stayed the same from generation to generation. In fact, Psalm 148 says it this way. Let every created thing praise the Lord. Let it give praise to the Lord. Why should it praise God? Because He issued His command. He spoke. And, and they came into being. Every created thing came into being. He set every creative thing into being, into place. He put it in place. It, it wasn't a big bang. It wasn't an evolution. He spoke it, and it happened. That's what the Word of God says, and so that's, we, we put our faith in that. It's scientifically accurate. I'll, I'll show you a little bit of that. The problem is that it just takes science a little time to catch up with the Bible already knows it's true take science a little bit of time. Let, let me show you a couple things that, that science has believed over the years. Even uh, until a few hundred years ago, science believed that the earth was flat. Right? But if they had read the word of God, if they just went to the Bible, they would have discovered in Isaiah, 2,600 years ago, that Isaiah says, no, the, the earth's not flat, it's round. It's a sphere. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, Isaiah says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That word circle, is uh, the Hebrew word for that's where we get our word sphere, which is where we get the word globe. God sits enthroned above the sphere, the globe of the earth. See, David knew that the earth wasn't flat. Because he said in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. See, what David was saying was that the love of God, the grace of God, the hope of God, the, 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 the forgiveness of God is boundless. It is immeasurable. It's, it's as far away as the east is from the west. Now, had he measured from the north to the south, he, that's, that's a measurable distance. Well, he would, have, he would have been saying God's love is limitless. God's love is limited. God's love knows the bounds of north to the south, but he didn't say that. He said east to west. And if the earth was flat, then 
then David would have been saying, hey, God's love is limited to the distance between the east and the west. But what he said was, the earth's, the earth, the earth's not flat. Because if you keep going east, you will never find west. And if you go west, you will never find east. God separates our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. It's limitless. It's boundless. And somebody needs to receive that today. That God's love for you is limitless. How about, how about uh, this? Uh, back in the day, in, in, when the scripture was written, and even, even until probably several hundred years ago, people believed that the earth had to be held up by something. Uh, the Greeks... They believed, have you ever heard of Atlas? They believed that Atlas was holding up the earth. He, there's, there's this monument, this sculpture of him with the earth on his shoulders. He's holding up the world. The Hindus believed that, that the earth was held up by four elephants that are standing on the back of a turtle that is standing on the back of a serpent swimming in the sea. Come on, that, take, that takes more faith to believe that than it does that the word of God is what it is, right? The Egyptians believed that the earth was held up by pillars. Now, if they had just read the book of Job, Job says he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over what? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing holding up the earth. God... God spoke that. Well, how did Job know? Maybe Job didn't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. Maybe that's how Job knowed, all right? Maybe that's how he knew. How about, how about this one? Um, for years, it was believed that the number of stars could be counted. Now, we know that that is just crazy for someone to think they could count the stars. But in 129 AD, or I'm sorry, BC, a, a Greek astrologer his name was Hipparchus he thought you know what I'm gonna set out and count the stars I'm gonna count all the stars and and he's actually famous for one of the first catalogs of stars and he counted in 129 BC he counted 850 stars blew their minds right a few hundred years later this this guy named um, this guy named Ptolemy he thought, you know what, there's got to be way more than 850 stars. I appreciate Hipparchus' work here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove him wrong. And he counted 1,022 stars. Took it to the whole nother level, everybody. Just go. I googled the other day. I was just curious. Like, how many, how many stars are there? Can, can they be counted? And the answer is no, they can't be counted. But they estimate that there are 200 sextillion stars. I don't know what that number is. I can't even imagine that. That number blows my mind. Did you know even last month they found another ring in our solar system? Stars can't be counted. Now, had they just read Jeremiah, Jeremiah would have told them, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. The Bible is scientifically accurate, everybody. You ever heard of a guy named Hippocrates? Some of you in the medical profession might know of Hippocrates. He was 460 B.C. to 370. He is the father of modern-day medicine. Like, uh, if you've ever heard of the Hippocratic Oath, it's named after him. 
um, he developed humoralism, the study of all the biles of our, our body, the, uh, the different kinds of bile. He was brilliant, but he believed, he believed that too much blood made you sick. Like somebody in here was coughing earlier, like, like we're going to have to drain some blood out of you, right? You just, you, you're sick. Like they believe, have you ever heard of bloodletting? All right. This was a common practice up until like a couple hundred years ago. The first president of the United States died because of bloodletting. He had a sore throat. And so they said, you know what, we, you got a sore throat. We need to get some of that blood out of you. We, they cut him three different times. He bled out 40% of his blood and then died. We know that that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard in our lives. That is so ridiculous. But had they read the Bible in Leviticus, they would have known that the life of the body is in the, is in the blood. That's where your life is. We, we all thought that the CDC and the government came up with quarantine. Oh, no, 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 no. That was the Bible that came up with the quarantine. Leviticus 13.4 says the priest will quarantine the person for seven days. Come on. That was the Bible. That wasn't the CDC. The Bible knew that. What I'm trying to convince you of is that man didn't write the Bible. God wrote the Bible, and the words of the Lord are flawless, everybody. They stand firm forever. How about this one? This gets a little bit more spiritual here, that the word, the Holy Bible, I can trust it because it is prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. A prophecy is something... Something, for, something foretold that must be fulfilled. Something foretold that must be fulfilled. And your Bible has over 1,200 prophecies in it. 300 of those prophecies are about Jesus Christ. Over 300 of them. The last prophecy of Jesus came 400 years before he was born. That would be like... The last prophecy coming over on the Mayflower. That's a long time ago. And, and the prophecies that came weren't generic prophecies like, oh, he's going to be cool. He's going to have long hair and a beard. And he's going to like have this tunic that he wears. And like he's going to have these sandals that are called like J Jerusalem cruisers. And they're going to be awesome. And it, was, it was not generic stuff. It was very specific prophecies like... He will be born of a virgin. He will be born in Bethlehem. He will come out of Egypt. Like the kind of death he would die. Did you know that David prophesied his death before crucifixion, crucifixions existed in Jerusalem? R the crucifixions didn't come until the Romans conquered hundreds of years later. But David says he will hang on a tree. He prophesied the death of Jesus Christ. It was specific, very specific. So, out of curiosity, a guy named Peter Stoner, he's a, a scientist and analyst and a researcher. He did a study called Science Speaks. And he wanted to find out what is the probability of one person fulfilling eight of these messianic prophecies. One person fulfilling eight prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled what would it take and you know what probability is like what are the chances that this could happen 
So they did the study. They, they employed dozens of analysts and researchers, and they came up with this, that for one person to fulfill eight prophecies would, would be one in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. To put that in perspective, that is one to the 10th power. One in 10 to the 17th power, right? One in 10 to the 17th power. That's 17 zeros. Pretty sure that's a number that won't work on, on your calculator, okay? That's a lot of zeros. But to, to give you even a better picture, they said it would be like, now, I'm, I live in Texas. I was born and raised in Tennessee, but I got to Texas as quick as I could, all right? Love Texas. And Texas is a little bit larger than Maryland. Um, it, takes, it takes you 14 hours to get from one side to the other side of Texas. That's a, that's a big state. So they said it would be like if you took uh, silver dollars and you filled up the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And you marked one of those silver dollars with an X on it. And you flew over the state and you dropped it from a helicopter. And then you, you blindfolded a man and you said, hey, you have one chance to pick up the, the silver dollar with an X on it anywhere in the state. That's the chances of one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of Jesus. And you may think, well, Pastor Ben, that's impossible. Then nobody could do it. No, like, I, how can that happen? How can one person fulfill those prophecies? And maybe, maybe Peter knew something when he wrote that maybe, maybe prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, maybe, maybe prophecy wasn't from people. But maybe, even, maybe, maybe it was from the prophets who, even though they were human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hey, everybody, it was the Holy Spirit giving those prophecies, not just some weird random people. God was working through those people. Jesus said it this way. He said, everything that you see happening is to fulfill the words of the prophets, the Old Testament writers, which, by the way, some of those prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Like, I don't know if you know it, but Jesus is coming again. Like, he's coming back. And he's not coming for a weak church. Come on, somebody. He's not coming for a church that's cowering, that doesn't know whether the word of God is right and true or not. He's coming back for a people who will stand on the B-I-B-L-E as the word of God. That's the kind of people he's coming back for. A passionate kind of church. That's what he's coming back for. Revelation 22 says that the angel spoke. These are the words of Jesus. These, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants that everything that has been spoken must soon take place. He's coming again. He's coming again. And so... I just think it takes more faith to believe that all of that was a coincidence than to believe that it's the word of God. So here's number four. All right, if you're, if you're taking notes, jot this down. I can trust the Bible because the Holy Bible has survived all attacks. All attacks. Which begs the question, why is it being attacked? 
Like, wh- wh- why does the world care so much if the Bible is not real? You ever thought about that? Like, why does it matter if, if all of it is a farce, if all of it is just made up? Why, why, do they, why, why does it matter? Why are you attacking it? Why is the world so, so much against the Word of God? John Lennon, some of you know John Lennon, the Beatle. He's famous for saying that Christianity's dead, rock and roll is here to stay forever. He's famous for saying that the Beatles are more famous than Jesus. What happened to John? The Bible's the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever made yet hey everybody it lives on even though the world is coming against it it thrives under persecution it keeps going and going it is unstoppable it is the word of god have you ever heard of voltaire didn't think so some of some of you like i don't know who that is most of us haven't heard of him he was a french philosopher a, a, a an enlightenment writer he was known for his criticism against christianity He's he's known for saying within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. Do you know who was forgotten? (laughs) You know what I find really interesting? Is that actually, 100 years after he died, his house became the headquarters for the French Bible Society. (laughs) Isn't that awesome how God works like that? been attacked it has survived every attack why peter says it best the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of god will endure forever you can't stop the word of god it will endure forever so why does all of this matter i'm I'm trying i'm giving you information because i want there to be a transformation in your life and what we have to decide church every one of us in this room today we have to make a decision we have to answer some questions we have to answer What is the final authority for my life? Am I going to live my life based on what some influencer on social media says I should do? Or will I build my life on the Word of God, the solid rock of Christ Jesus? Will will I attack God's Word or will I live by God's Word? Will I deconstruct God's Word or will I defend God's Word? Will I live on what the world says or on what the Word says? Every one of us have to make a decision. What are we going to do? And I think God's looking for a church. He's coming back for a church who says, you can arrest me, you can persecute me, you can beat me, you can kill me, but I will not deny my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I will not deny that the Word of God is a firm foundation I can build my life on. That's what he's looking for. How, Pastor Ben? It takes faith. But I just don't understand the Word of God. Listen, I don't understand digestion, but I still eat. I don't understand how a car works, but I get up in the car. I don't understand how a plane flies in the air, but I'm fixing to get on one this afternoon. Fly back to Texas. I don't understand it, but I put my faith in it. And for some of us here today, you don't understand it. Just put your faith in it. Give it a shot. And that leads me to the last thing I want to just mention today. Like, the reason you can trust the Bible is because it has the life-changing power of God in it. It has the life-changing power of God. And I don't know if you do this here, but at our church, we, we, 
give what we call a one-year challenge where we we challenge people to give God give God a year of your life give God a year of your life if you don't know God give your life to him today if you've never been water baptized take that next step of baptism if you haven't been in a small group get in a small group begin serving go through the growth track do everything the pastor drew and Lauren they lead you to do go all in for a year and I promise you in 365 days you will not recognize the person that you are today you will be so different you'll look back at this moment and you'll go I don't even know who that person was but you have to go all in Jesus said it this way in John that if you hold to my teaching hold to my teaching then you'll be my disciple and see for some of you some of you today you're, you're a churchgoer and you believe in God but you're not really holding to it you're not really holding to the word of God you believe in him but you're not a disciple and today I want to give you that opportunity to make him the Lord of your life to invite Jesus Christ to transform you from the inside out so if you would I want to ask you to bow your heads with me today close your eyes and ask yourself right now what is the Holy Spirit saying to me for some of you you're a Christian you believe in God you need to take your relationship to the next level you need to fall in love with the Word of God all over again you need to make a decision that I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna live my life by the Word of God I'm gonna learn to love it live it and I'm gonna obey it I'm gonna trust it but there's some of you here today you can't even do that because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have, you don't have a personal relationship. And I want to lead you into that moment right now. Here's what you do. You have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to make a decision today that Jesus is who he says he is and you believe he did what he says he did. And what Jesus did was he came to the earth. God loved you so much he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that if you would believe in him, he, you wouldn't perish, but you would have everlasting life. He sent his innocent son, who did no wrong. He sinned, no sin. Yet he died a criminal's death for you and me. He took our punishment. He died in our place. We were the guilty ones, but he took our place on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. And right now he's at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you in this moment that your eyes would be opened, that you would have an encounter with God, that you would say yes to a relationship with him. And if you're here today and you want that, you feel the weight of your sin, the weight of your past, the guilt, the condemnation, I want to give you an opportunity right now. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you to the front. I won't embarrass you, but I need you to make a decision today. You need to make a decision. On the count of three, Pastor Ben, I'm ready to go all in. I want you to lift your hand and let me lead you in a prayer. One, two, three. Come on, slip up your hand all across this place to say, that's me. I'm going all in. I see you. I see you. God bless you. I see you up there. Anybody else? I see you. God, I'm proud of you. Anyone else that would say, that's me. I see you. I'm proud of you. Every one of you. bowed your eyes closed say this prayer with me today say Jesus I give you my life I repent I turn from my sin to follow you I believe you are who you say you are 
will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Wash me? Make me new? I need a fresh start. So I give you my life. I confess you as Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I'm asking you to be my Savior, my Lord, my best friend. And from this day forward, I'll follow you the best that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God the best praise we can. Let's thank God.